If you have a Bible, please turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and as you're turning, let me say to all of you who are mothers or motherly, happy Mother's Day uh, to you. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He knows you. He sees you. He will reward you. Happy Mother's Day to you. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul. He was writing to a church he had planted, he had started in a place called Corinth, which was in Greece. Our sermon text this morning is 1 Corinthians 14. We'll be reading verses 1 through 5, starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Let's pray here as we get going. Well, Father, we bless you. We thank you for every opportunity to open your word. We do thank you, Father, uh, for this word. Trust that you have breathed it out for our eternal good. And we would just ask for your help now. We would ask for the blessing, for the ministry of your Holy Spirit in this room here this morning. We thank you, Father. We know things um, in your kingdom are done not by power, not by might, but by your spirit. So we would ask for your spirit to come and open the eyes of our hearts, Father, so that we might know you, might know Jesus, might follow you more firmly, with more resolve in our lives. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Verse 1, Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongue, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Amen. Well, I'll let you in on a little personal secret this morning. I love home remodeling shows. (laughs) HGTV Network is one of my favorites. Fixer Upper shows. Chip and Joanna Gaines, some of my best friends. I just, uh, I love it when people can take uh, a rundown property and build it into something beautiful. I just wish I could do it. I can slop some paint if you need me to. I can't do it, but I love it. And you may not know this, but God himself is a builder. Greatest construction worker on this planet building up right now this glorious building. God is right now building up his church. All the genuine followers of the Lord Jesus Christ around the globe. Here it is, 1 Peter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, Christians, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Or 1 Corinthians 3, 9, you are God's building. God is now building up his church. And you know, when, when local churches like ours, small branches of God's universal church, when we gather somehow in, in a service like this or in our prayer meetings or in our life group meetings, when we gather together, God wants us to build up one another. 
God wants us to edify or strengthen one another when we are gathered together. And here's the thing. One thing that is absolutely critical when we gather, if we want to build up one another, one thing that's critical, intelligibility. We have to understand what others are saying. Paul makes that clear right here. If you come to this service and I speak in some foreign language that you don't understand, you are not going to be built up very much by what I have to say. The Roman Catholic Church in some places will do only Latin masses. The people attending the service don't necessarily speak Latin. The church just thinks that Latin masses are more powerful in some way So most of the people sit and listen to a language they don't understand. And I love my Roman Catholic friends. I do. I have Roman Catholic friends. But here's the thing. That is not a biblical practice. In order to build up one another, when we gather together, we must understand one another. Intelligibility. And that principle applies to the spiritual gifts. I'm preaching a mini-series now on 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When a person becomes a Christian, you, you, you turn from your sin and repentance, you now follow Christ in faith. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit now lives within you. And the Spirit within you now begins to empower you with different spiritual gifts. And Paul here in these chapters, he teaches us about spiritual gifts. And the church in Corinth at this time, well, this church was divided over the spiritual gifts. And one primary issue that was causing division was the gift of tongues. Those who had the gift of tongues there in Corinth, they thought they were superior to other Christians and they looked down on other Christians. Those who did not have the gift of tongues, well, they then thought they were inferior, didn't even maybe belong to the church. And when this church was gathered in their meetings, it seems that those who spoke in tongues in their meetings, well, they did it in a disorder orderly and unintelligible manner. They were not concerned at all that their tongues would be interpreted so others there could actually understand what was being said. And therefore, the people who were hearing these tongues spoken, they were not being built up because they couldn't understand. There was no intelligibility with those tongues. And it was really a lack of love, which is why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13. Entire chapter on love, Paul saying there that we must practice our spiritual gifts in love. And Paul now here in chapter 14, he now addresses directly the Corinthians' misuse of that spiritual gift of tongues. Paul argues here that when the church is gathered in a meeting such as this, tongues must be interpreted so that others can understand and therefore be built up. Or, Paul says here, he says there's actually a greater gift, spiritual gift, when the church is gathered, a gift that always builds up other people, and that is prophecy, a gift that Paul now promotes here as the greater gift. Paul says three things here about the gift of prophecy. Three points that we'll look at today. Here they are on the screen. Prophecy is to be desired, number one. 
Prophecy builds up others, number two. And number three, prophecy is greater than tongues. Point number one here, prophecy is to be desired. If you look again at verse one in your Bible or up on the screen, Paul says this, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So Paul After this entire chapter on love, chapter 13, telling us to practice our spiritual gifts in love, well, Paul now concludes that chapter, chapter 13, he concludes it now here with one more command concerning love, pursue love, he says. Pursue love. And the Greek verb there for pursue means that you run after love as a Christian. You seek love. You aspire love. In all things to walk in love. The spiritual gifts, as he said last chapter, they'll come to an end. They're for this life only. But love never ends. Love will endure forever. So love is primary. Pursue love in all that you do, Christian. But that does not mean that you get rid of the spiritual gifts. No, you look again at verse 1. Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So Paul's just repeating there what he says all through these chapters. He says to you, Christian, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts because the spiritual gifts are really, really good for you as a Christian. Just do them in love. And the Greek word for earnestly desire I've mentioned before, it means that you, Christian, you should be positively and intensely interested in the spiritual gifts. You should strive for, desire, exert yourself for the spiritual gifts. Sam Storms says it like this. Put this on the screen. He says, the verb translator earnestly desire means to have strong affection for, to ardently yearn, to zealously long for spiritual gifts, or to use modern lingo, it's as if God is saying here in this passage, I want you to want it really bad. So, do you? It's a command from God. I want you, Christian, I want you, Christian, to want the spiritual gifts really bad. It's not just that you're to be open to the gifts or maybe if God does them. No, earnestly desire them. Actively, earnestly desiring the spiritual gifts. So so can I encourage you, pray for the spiritual gifts. Ask God for more gifts. Earnestly desire the gifts, especially, Paul says, one particular gift. If you look again at verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And if you just glance at the end of chapter 14, Paul says a similar thing in 1439. He says this, So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy. So multiple times, multiple apostolic commands here in these chapters, Paul says earnestly desire Christian to prophesy. Or, to use modern lingo, as Sam Storm says, I want you, Christian, to want to prophesy bad. Do you? 
And what is this gift of prophecy? Well, I described it earlier in this series. I won't go over all of it again. Here's the simple description that I gave. The way the elders here at least would describe this gift of prophecy. Sam Storm says it like this. He says, a simple definition would be that prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. Prophecy is the speaking forth in merely human words of something God has spontaneously brought to mind. Or Wayne Grudem says this. Wayne Grudem says, prophecy is something that God may suddenly bring to mind or something that God may impress on someone's consciousness in such a way that the person has a sense that it is from God and you then speak it in your own words to other people. So, just catch it. The Spirit spontaneously brings something to mind, a revelation as Paul calls it down in verse 30, the Spirit revealing something to you. It could be a, a, a picture that you have in your mind. It could be a word or, 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 or sentences. It could be a dream you have or, or a vision, as the Bible talks about. And you then share that with other people in your own words. And we'll see in just a second that prophecy builds up others, exhorts others, consoles others, or it can also disclose. It can reveal the secrets of a person's heart. And listen, this gift of prophecy could probably work in lots of different ways. We see several examples in the book of Acts. You can think of Acts chapter 5 with with Ananias and Sapphira, and Peter just somehow knew they were lying. The Spirit just sovereignly revealing that to, to Peter. Possible example of this prophecy, this aspect of prophecy where it is disclosing the secrets of a person's heart. Or that could be the gift of the utterance of knowledge, but somehow the Spirit just revealed it to Peter. Or you can think of Acts 11 with Agabus, a prophet, the Bible says, who foretold by the Spirit that a famine was coming. He saw it somehow that it was coming. And he told the Christians in Antioch, and the famine then came. The Spirit just sovereignly revealing that to Agabus. Or maybe Acts 21, Agabus again prophesied that Paul would soon face a certain type of persecution when he went to Jerusalem, and Paul did. The Spirit again just sovereignly revealing that. All those examples of prophecy. We looked a few weeks ago at some possible examples in the life of Charles Spurgeon, 19th century preacher. Preaching on one occasion... In Exeter Hall in London, he stopped mid-sermon, pointed in a certain direction, and he said, young man, those gloves you're wearing have not been paid for. You have stolen them from your employer. And a young man later approached Spurgeon, begged to speak to him in private, placed the gloves on the table, and said, it's the first time I've robbed. I will never do it again. You won't expose me, sir, will you? It would kill my mother if she heard that I became a thief. Especially not on Mother's Day. Don't expose me. And the Spirit just sovereignly dropping that into Spurgeon's mind. No way he could have known that about that young man. And Spurgeon later said this. He said, I could tell as many as a dozen similar cases in which I pointed at somebody in the hall without having the slightest knowledge of the person or any idea that what I said was right, except that I believed I was moved by the Spirit to say it, And so striking has been my description 
that the persons have gone away and said to their friends, come see a man that told me all things ever I did. Beyond a doubt, he must have been sent of God to my soul or else he could not have described me so exactly. Or we watched a video a few weeks ago, a man named Ken Helzer. His wife had uterine cancer. She was scheduled for a hysterectomy. They would never have kids again. But a man received a prophetic word for Ken Helzer, and he went to Ken, and he said to Ken that God had healed his wife, and they would have a son named Jonathan David who would play the harp and sing praises to God. So Ken Helzer asked the doctor to test his wife one more time, and two days before her surgery, they found the cancer was gone. And they had a son. Jonathan David Helzer grew up to write and sing praise songs. He just won, in 2016, the GMA Dove Awards for Worship Song of the Year for his song, No Longer Slaves. Or Sam Storms tells of a time in one of his services, it was witnessed by hundreds of people, a leader in his church approached Sam in the middle of the service and said to Sam, Sam, I have a strong sense that the Lord has revealed something to me for a woman here. And you see, that's how you would, you would introduce a possible prophetic word. You may have seen before people stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. Not the best way to do it. This man just said, Sam, I have a sense that the Lord has impressed upon my heart something to be spoken to a woman here. And Sam let the man share it with the church. The man said this. The Lord impressed on my heart this morning that there was a woman present who visited her doctor about 10 days ago. The prognosis given was not encouraging. The initials SJ have some connection to this doctor. I'd like to pray for you today. You also have a young son who suffers from asthma. I would like to pray for him also if you'll come forward. And after the service, a woman came forward. Had not attended services for months due to an extended very painful illness, could barely walk to the front. Her doctor's initials, as the prophecy said, were S.J. She had a son with terrible asthma. The man prayed for her and her son, and by the time she reached her car, she was pain-free, healed to this day. Her son also instantly healed of his asthma. We serve a living God. He is not dead. He did not die. He is living. He moves. He he speaks to his people, guides his people, loves his people. He knows the intimate details of our lives. He's good. All those are just possible examples of this gift of prophecy. God, as Wayne Grudem said, suddenly brings something to your mind, impresses it on your consciousness, and you then share it with others. And I said this earlier in our series, but it's just so important, I think, for me to repeat here. You may believe today that this gift of prophecy is no longer active. My cessationist friends who believe that some gifts ceased back in 
the first century. Now that is not the position of the elders of this church. We are continuationists. We believe that all of the spiritual gifts in the Bible still function today. But listen, if you believe that the gift of prophecy has ceased today, that's okay. You are welcome here, and I mean that. And there's just something that we really need to recognize here. Those things that I just described, the Spirit spontaneously bringing something to a Christian's mind, impressing it on your your heart, your, your conscience, well, both continuationists and cessationists believe the Spirit still does those things today. We just call it something different. Well, we continuationists, we call that prophecy. We believe very strongly that that's what this gift of prophecy is. Cessationists, however, might call it something different. Cessationists might call it just an impression that the Holy Spirit would give to you or something like that. But listen, what I just described, both continuationists and cessationists believe God still does those things today. I want to give you a quote from Tom Schreiner. He's a leading cessationist today. I've shown this to you before. Just a great quote. I just want you to notice that even this cessationist believes that God does what I just described. He just calls it something different. Schreiner says this. It is better, he says, to characterize what is happening today as the sharing of impressions rather than prophecy. Now, I would firmly disagree with Tom Schreiner on that point, but that's okay. Love Tom Schreiner, and I love what he says here. He's going to call them impressions. I would call them prophecy. That's a a difference in semantics, but catch what he says here. It's better to characterize what's happening today as a sharing of impressions rather than prophecy. God may impress something on a person's heart and mind, and he may use such impressions to help others in their spiritual walk. It is a matter of definition. What some people call prophecies, like me, are actually impressions, he would say, where someone senses that God is leading them to speak to someone or to make some kind of statement about a situation. Sometimes, in a most remarkable way, they might be completely right. God may lay something on someone's heart, and it may be exactly right. And exactly what a person needs to hear. Sometimes the impression might be quite astonishing and clearly miraculous. Though this is quite rare, and I might argue with him there. The difference between cessationists and continuationists is in some ways insignificant at the practical level. When it comes to prophecy, for what continuationists like me call prophecy, cessationists call impressions. As a cessationist, he says, I affirm, I affirm, I affirm. That God may speak to his people through impressions. And there are occasions where impressions are startlingly accurate. So just know, Christ Redeemer Church, just know that, that, that most Christians believe the Spirit at times spontaneously brings things to a Christian's mind. Impresses it on your heart, your conscience. Now, the elders here would call that prophecy. You might call that an impression if you're more comfortable with that. I'm fine with that. You call it whatever you want. Let's just all embrace that the Holy Spirit still works in these ways. This gracious and intimate leading of God's people at times through the Spirit. God speaking to his people at times, as Schreiner said, in the moment. Things that can be startlingly accurate. These, these impressions or what we would call prophecy. Now pause for a second because then here's the thing. We as elders, because we're continuations, because we would call that prophecy, 
We as elders believe God wants us to earnestly desire those things. Because we believe that's prophecy. And God just commanded us here, earnestly desire Christians that you may prophesy. Earnestly desire Christians, these in the moment, sovereign, supernatural leadings of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit suddenly bringing to your mind and pressing on your conscience something you're supposed to share with others. And listen, if you're here today and you just want to call them impressions, I still hope that you would desire those things, that God would give you those things. But from my position, Scripture says, earnestly desire that we may prophesy, so we will earnestly desire these types of things. It's a command from God. It's not just okay for us to desire prophecy. God wants us to desire prophecy. Or to use modern lingo, Sam Storms, God is saying to us, Christians, I want you to want to prophesy really bad. And I will tell you, I personally pray for this gift of prophecy consistently. When I preach or or when I counsel. And I do believe that God has given that to me at times. These in-the-moment words for people. I'm stuck, I don't know what to say, or I'm preaching. These things I didn't write into my sermon, things not in my mind to say, and it's suddenly there. And and I speak it, and it, it lands with power. And all I can say, like Spurgeon would say, is that it was supplied by the Holy Spirit in the moment. Now, Spurgeon might call that an impression. I don't know. I would call that prophecy. The Holy Spirit is just so kind to lead his people in the moment. He's a living God. And right now, and we need it. And listen, we pray for this gift of prophecy as elders. We just met as elders Friday night and most of the day yesterday. And we prayed for the gift of prophecy in our church. That God would bless our entire church with these specific, intimate words from the Spirit, directing us to just the right people at just the right time with just the right words for God's glory. So that's the first thing that Paul says here. He says prophecy is to be desired. And a second thing Paul then says here, point number two, prophecy builds up others. Prophecy builds up others. And what Paul does here, he tells us now why we should desire so badly to prophesy because prophecy builds up others within the church. You know what Paul does here? Paul now contrasts the gifts of prophecy with the gift of tongues. And Paul highlights now one major difference between prophecy and tongues. Paul says here that tongues, if it's not interpreted, it builds up just the speaker. But prophecy builds up the church, or it builds up others within the church. Now Paul just said here in verse 1 that we should earnestly desire to prophesy, and he now tells us why if you look at verse 2. Why should we earnestly desire to prophesy? For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands them, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. 
Earlier in this series, I talked about this gift of tongues, or more literally, gift of languages. It's not just something with your tongue. It has to do with languages. This gift of tongues, it is the spirit-empowered ability to speak in a language that you don't know. It could be a foreign human language that you can suddenly speak, or maybe it is some foreign angelic language Speaking with the tongues of angels, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. But here's the thing. It doesn't really matter what kind of language this is, because Paul says here, verse 2, that no one understands it. No one, neither the speaker nor the hearers, understand these languages in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Now, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, The Christians there were empowered to speak in foreign human languages that the hearers on that occasion could understand. The foreigners in Jerusalem at that time, they heard the Christians speaking in their own native languages. But this spiritual gift of languages that Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians is a little different. Paul says that no one understands these languages. (laughs) Neither the speaker nor the hearers. It's the reason Paul says they must be interpreted. Somebody with the gift of interpretation to interpret these things because nobody understands them. He says that the person who's speaking in these languages or these tongues is uttering mysteries in the Spirit. They're not understood. And these unknown languages, this gift of tongues, it's, it's a spiritual form of prayer or of praise. You'll notice if you look at verse 2, Paul said they are spoken to God. Paul talks later here in this chapter about praying and giving thanks in the Spirit, referring to tongues. So D.A. Carson concludes this. He says, in other words, speaking in tongues is a form of prayer or praise to God. The Christian that is praying in tongues, verse 3 says, again, is uttering mysteries in the Spirit to God. Now, just time out for a second. I think some of you may have had this experience before. If anybody ever comes to you and they say that they're speaking in tongues and they have a message for you in tongues, it's probably not legitimate because tongues are directed toward God. They are prayer or praise to God. And Paul says here that this gift of tongues, even though the speaker doesn't understand the language, It is still edifying to the speaker. You look at verse 4. He says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. So the speaker, even though he doesn't know the language, is still somehow edified. Built up in his or her spirit. Now pause. That's tough for us to understand how that works. Uh, You know, we live in this post-enlightenment Western world where we hyper-intellectualize everything. We make a God out of reason. And we think now, how in the world, if my mind doesn't understand the language, how could my spirit still be edified? And here's the thing, Paul didn't have a problem with that. Paul did not have a problem with that. He says clearly here that no one, not even the speaker, knows a language, and yet the speaker is still built up in his spirit, somehow edified and strengthened. And listen, this gift of 
tongues or gift of languages then, according to Paul, it is a good gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in verse 5, he wishes that every Christian could speak in tongues. Not every Christian can speak in tongues. Paul is very clear here in these chapters. This is not a gift that the Spirit apportions to every Christian. Listen, if the Spirit has given you this gift, it doesn't make you better than anyone else. If you think that, you've fallen into the error of the Corinthians. It is apportioned as the Spirit wills, Paul says. Makes you no better, you have no grounds for boasting. But Paul says it's a good spiritual gift because it builds up the speaker who speaks in this unknown language. But Paul now contrasts this gift of tongues with prophecy. And he says here that prophecy, it doesn't just build up the speaker, but it builds up others in the church. Now, remember, he just said that tongues is spoken to God, and it builds up the speaker. But then look at verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people. For their upbuilding and encouragement, consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. So here's the way it works. This gift of tongues or of languages, it's vertical. It's addressed to God. It's a form of prayer or praise or thanks. Prophecy is horizontal. It's spoken to people. Tongues builds up the speaker. But prophecy says builds up others, the, the church. And Paul gives three words there to describe what prophecy does. This is important. It's important. This is one of the only descriptions we have of this New Testament spiritual gift of prophecy. Paul gives us three words to describe what prophecy does. One, prophecy upbuilds other people. So it edifies or it strengthens other people. Number two, prophecy encourages other people. The Greek word there means that it emboldens others in their faith. Or in a specific course of action, prophecy gives you courage. Or, number three, prophecy also consoles other people. And the Greek there means that it comforts those who are grieving or depressed. So prophecy, just catch the the going out to other people thing here. Prophecy upbuilds, it encourages, it consoles other people in the church. Now think back to the examples I gave. Agabus prophesying, telling the Christians in Antioch that a famine was coming, and it came. How that would have built up and encouraged and consoled the Christians in Antioch. It would have said to them, God is with you. God sees you. God knows you. Or, or think, of, uh, think of Ken Helzer receiving that prophecy about his, his wife's healing, the birth of a son, and how it then happened. How that would have built him up encouraged them, consoled he and his wife. It even spurred them to action. They went back to their doctor and asked to check again. God is alive, real. Or that woman who could hardly walk in Sam Storm's church, son with asthma, and the Spirit sovereignly calling her out and healing her and her son. It was witnessed by hundreds. Do you think that might have built up and encouraged And consoled those hundreds of people who witnessed this real living God moving in this situation in a very intimate and loving and kind way. And you see with prophecy, it's just this 
other person focus with prophecy. It's edifying, it's strengthening, it's, it's, it's other people. And prophecy can do even more than that for other people. If you look at, down at verse 24, Paul says this, But if all prophesy, he's talking about in the church, if all are blessed with this gift of prophecy, and an unbeliever outsider enters a gathering like this, and there's prophecy in that meeting, he is convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. God must be here. There's no way you could have known that. God is here. So there's also at times this revealing aspect to prophecy in other people's lives. The Spirit just sovereignly disclosing at times to a believer the secrets of another person's heart. That brings conviction. Calls them to account. Paul says they fall down on their knees and they worship declaring God is here. Think of Peter calling out Ananias and Sapphira, knowing they were lying, and they fell down not to worship. They fell down dead for lying to God. Or think of Spurgeon, just in the moment, calling out that young man for stealing gloves. It's just disclosed to him by the Holy Spirit, the secrets of the man's heart. We don't want to know what happened to the man. I think there's a good chance that man thought, God is here powerful testimony of the Holy Spirit in that church. But again, all of this with prophecy, it's just this other person focus. It's edifying, it's encouraging, it's consoling, it's convicting, it's building up other people, building up the church. Tongues builds up the speaker, which is great, but prophecy builds up others. Now, Pause. If tongues are interpreted, as verse 5 says, so someone in the church has the spiritual gift of interpretation, which Paul talked about in chapter 12, and if that person can interpret those tongues that were just spoken to God, then tongues can build up other people in the church, and they can be edified through those tongues. But if no interpretation of those tongues that are spoken in a gathering, they build up only the speaker. That's it. But prophecy always builds up others. It's just this relentless other person focus with prophecy. And Paul here, with this contrasting of prophecy and tongues, Paul was speaking directly now to this problem in Corinth. Because these Corinthian Christians, they had elevated the gift of tongues. That was the gift, man. Best of all the gifts. And if you have that gift, you're the cream of the crop. They pursued tongues, thought that was everything. And it's very apparent here that when the church was gathered there in Corinth, it seems very clear that they were speaking their tongues in that gathering which would have been fine if someone was there to interpret the tongues. But it seems there was no interpretation in Corinth. And here's the thing. 
the tongue speakers then there in Corinth, they were in a corporate meeting of some sort, and they were building up only themselves. Now, that's fine if you're in private, Paul will say here in this chapter. But that is not fine when you're in a corporate gathering of the church to build up only yourself through uninterpreted tongues. There is no other person love in that. And when we gather together, Paul is clear here, we must love one another. Must aim first and foremost to build up not just ourselves, but others. And prophecy, Paul now says, that is the gift that always builds up others. So, earnestly desire Corinthians, earnestly desire Christ Redeemer Church. When we are gathered as a church, earnestly desire that you may prophesy and build up others. So that's Paul's second point. One, prophecy is to be desired. Two, prophecy builds up others. And point number three, Paul's conclusion now, prophecy therefore is greater than tongues. You look at verse 5. Paul says, Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So, man, that gift of languages, the gift of tongues is a great gift. It's a form of praise, a a prayer. It builds up the speaker. But that gift, if used when the church is gathered, here, life groups, prayer meetings, it must be interpreted so that others can understand and be built up. And if there's no interpretation, Paul will later say you should just pray in tongues alone to yourself and to God because to use that gift out loud in the gathered church with no interpretation, well, that would be selfish. Just you building up only you, no love for the others around you. And prophecy, therefore, when the church is gathered in any way, is a much greater gift because prophecy does build up others in the church. Now pause, because Paul just corrected a lot of abuse with the gift of tongues in our day. There are lots of churches that have elevated that gift of tongues. And if you have the gift of tongues, supposedly, you are better than other Christians somehow, superior. You can look down on them in some way. It's this elevation of the gift of tongues. It's a good gift. Paul's saying here, don't get it out of its priority. And there are churches that allow people to speak in supposed tongues in their meetings with no interpretation. Some churches do that today. Allow people to pray out loud in supposed tongues. Sometimes everyone all at once with no interpretation. And that is not a biblical practice. That is not biblical. It goes directly against everything that Paul says here. It might edify the tongue speakers... If those tongues are legitimate, 
but it does not edify others in the church. It is a selfish practice. It is a selfish practice. There's no love there for other people. It would be much better, according to Paul, and the church is gathered for people to earnestly desire to prophesy so that others might be built up, which is love for other people. Anthony Thistleton, he says this, If the criterion for evaluating gifts, therefore, is love for others, prophetic speech is clearly the more important gift. So the conclusion here from Paul, pursue love, Corinthian church. Pursue love, Christ's Redeemer church in all things. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. God is saying here, Christian, I want you to want to prophesy really bad. Why? Because prophecy is love. Love for other people. And you know, you, you just step back from this text, look at it. We just see clearly here God's heart for his church. That when we are gathered in any way in our services or in our prayer meetings or in our life group meetings, there must be intelligibility. We must understand what other people are saying. I won't stand up here next Sunday and preach in Latin. Thank God. How does it go? Latin first killed the Romans and now it's killing me while my kids are taking it. It's killing me. I'm not even taking it. I won't preach to you next Sunday in Latin unless I then interpret it. So that you can be built up, which would be love. If I preach to you in Latin and leave it, you're not built up. That's not love for you. That's me showing off my Latin skills, and I don't have them. Listen, this same goes with spiritual gifts. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 14 at the end, do not forbid speaking in tongues. We will not forbid it at this church. We will not go against a clear apostolic command. It is fine to speak in tongues when we're gathered. Hold on. All the hypercharismaniacs here. <laughs> it's fine. Speak in tongues when we're gathered. If you believe you have that gift, but Paul says here, only two or three people in order. And here's the thing. It must always be with interpretation. Always. Either you or someone else interpreting those languages. And here's the thing. If you don't have that gift of interpretation and you're not sure that anyone else here has that gift of interpretation then Paul would command you here, you must be silent and keep that to yourself and pray only to God. God is clear here. When his church is gathered, there must be intelligibility so that others within the church might be built up, which is love. And you see what we have then in this text. Just pause. Think about it. It is just this relentless other person focus. Christians, we, we, you, you lay down your own life for others. You, you lay down your own personal building up through uninterpreted tongues, and you earnestly desire to prophesy in order that others might be built up. You seek your neighbor's good and not just your own. And why should we do that? Because that is exactly what Christ has done for us. Here it is, Romans 15, 2, the Apostle Paul says this, he says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Why? For Christ did not please himself. 
But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Listen, if you have now genuinely turned to Christ in faith, then Jesus laid down his own life for you. Christ took your reproaches upon himself on the cross. Christ gave up his own upbuilding in order that you might be built up. He laid down his own good, his own life for your good, for your life. And Jesus now looks at you, Christian, and says, now go and do likewise. Now you lay down your own life. You lay down your own good. You lay down your own upbuilding for the upbuilding of your brother and sister and apply that to spiritual gifts. You swallow that, which would just be personal for your own upbuilding. If you're in a corporate gathering like this and you desire more, that which would upbuild everything everybody. So if tongues are interpreted, great, because that will, interp- that will upbuild everybody. But if there's no interpretation, keep it to yourself and desire prophecy that you might speak and upbuild others within the, the gathered church. Let each of us, with our spiritual gifts, please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Do unto others, Christian, as Christ has done to you, earnestly Desire, Christian, that you may prophesy in order that others might be built up, which is love. Bless you, Father. Bless you, Father, for your word. We praise you. We honor you. We thank you, Father, for how your word addresses the issues in our lives. I know, Father, here in this room, there are those who have felt the abuse of the gift of tongues, the abuse of prophecy, maybe, the abuse of other spiritual gifts, and there's a, there's a hurt there, there's a wound there, and I'm thankful, Father, you see that wound, and you can speak comfort, you can speak truth to that wound. And I pray, Father, that all those past wounds that were abuses of the Spirit, I pray, Father, you'd help our people here to see where those things were abuses and to throw the abuses out, but not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Father, we just thank you. You speak truth. You correct us. You guide us. You direct us. We thank you, Father, for the spiritual gifts. We don't always understand them. But we thank you for what you've told us in the word. We thank you for your spirit, for the gift of your spirit in our hearts, the manifestations of your spirit. And we would just say, Father, we need those things. We need those. We want those things, manifestations of your spirit. And Father, where we don't want them, we do pray, Father, you would stir up a desire in our hearts for the spiritual gifts. Help us, Father, we pray here in our church. Help us, Father. Help us, Father, we pray.